Gentlemen, start your engine. Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, Radio Hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Diabolical uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotler. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. the word as we move straight into episode 94 94 of radio hotlet that light-hearted and zany podcast that takes a look at the world of motorsport local and international cool and emerging technologies gadgets barbecues and sometimes messy plates at pubs that you don't go to well tonight here i am in the uh, the salubrious i think salubrious is the word royston hotel in Richmond, Melbourne, with uh, Mark Fogarty, alias The Folks. John, how are you, mate? Good, thank you. Good to have you in my neck of the woods. This is uh, the most unlikely pub you might ever find, isn't it? It is. Because very you, you found out when you pulled up, the cab dropped you, off, dropped you off, and you were looking around looking for the place, and you see the, um, what is it on the walls here? It's like, you know, 1970s slate. Rock facing, but listen, mate. I was here. I just live up the road. I was here for six months before I even discovered this place. But I reckon it's just a little treasure. It's it's quiet, but um, very quiet at the moment. It'll get busier tonight. Um, the decor is hmm, interesting. The music's not offensive, but interesting enough. So, and the food here is very good. Look, you know, some pubs have gone from what we see here today through a refurbishment to then take themselves back down to where they were and, and I love the fact that they've saved money and kept it the way it was. I mean there's a little bit of look behind it, a little bit of Brady Bunch going on. Um, <laughs> Brady and, Bunch, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, and the, Where's Marsha? <laughs> she'll be down later with she's over here. Marsha. In fact, Marsha's tonight is being played by Donna. Hello Donna. Hello John. Hello Mark. <laughs> Hello viewers. Hi there. Well um She's uh, dropped in just to say good day to everybody uh, at the uh, at the bar. The the, uh, the very helpful barman is um, enjoying his uh, the dish of the day, specifically the smoked salmon. No, it's not smoked salmon. Salmon. It's uh, sautéed salmon with pea puree. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Atlantic salmon. Why do we have Atlantic salmon in the Pacific, folks? Well, it's come a long way. You'd You'd want to eat it quick, wouldn't you? Really? <laughs> I mean, how is it? With the petrol prices, Good. how have they managed to keep the price of Atlantic salmon down? Probably it flew Jetstar, I would imagine. <laughs> oh, there's more leg room. Is there? <laughs> it's important if you're a salmon. <laughs> well, let's move on to uh, this week's uh, episode. But before we do, what are you uh, all having to drink? Ladies first. Speak up, bring your, throw your voice to the microphone. I'm having a lovely Ashton Hills Riesling. Oh, lovely. Cheers. How is it? Dry? Dry. Yes. Folks? And I'm having a pint of Little Creatures Ale. Of which? They tend to specialise in uh, unusual, not run-of-the-mill beers here, so, and there are some quite um, 
weird ones that I wouldn't touch with a barge. I actually had little a, creatures is all right. I had a mountain goat before you uh, <laughs> you, you turned up. And, Should uh, we be and talking about that really? Family show, isn't it? Perhaps, but uh, it's. Uh, I'm glad I've only gone for a half a one now because you know we're on little creatures now too. Little I'll creatures, quite true. Now we have a, a lovely uh, a selection of um, munchies here from the Royston Hotel, RoystonHotel.com.au. If you want to come down here, you might not find it, but the cab driver found it, mm. and he's not from around here. Um, chorizo sausages, which have been replaced. Nice. The Persian feta was given the flick in, uh, in, 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 in lieu of that. And there's uh, multiple coloured olives and some salmon. Yes. Mr. Rusty is hiding here on our plate. Some nice bread and some weird bread, you know, pita bread or something. Yes, very good choice. It'll wouldn't, be... wouldn't have thought of it myself. Myself, it's because it was locals' night. It was hard to hard to go by it, and this is be the last meal you enjoy for the next few days before you go off to the Singapore Grand Prix Formula One. The first time Formula One has gone to Singapore. How do you think it'll go? Another one bites the dust. Tell us what your thoughts are about uh, the Singapore Grand Prix. I'm very excited, actually. I think it's going to be a fantastic spectacle. Motor racing under lights, to me, has always been fantastic. I remember back in the old days when they used to have twilight meetings at Calder Raceway, now Calder Park, Oran Park up in Sydney. Reverse grid races, yeah. reverse direction races even. That's right. But just under lights, motor racing is good. You know, the atmosphere, the nighttime air, the glowing brakes and the headlights. Um, in the United States, NASCAR racing at night is a real spectacle, as is IndyCar racing. So I think Formula One at Singapore, I'm a bit worried that the lighting system that they've set up is going to be so perfect that it might just look like the cars are running around in daytime because they've gone through a lot of trouble to make sure that the lights, um, the lighting is even, that the lighting doesn't dazzle the drivers if they, uh, particularly if they spin off and are looking backwards and all that. But I, I hope that what will make it really seem like a night event, unlike the Qatar MotoGP, which was just all light on the track and black behind, um, all the lighting from the city around in Singapore will really make it look spectacular. I mean, the track is interesting, pretty slow for a street circuit, except for one long straight, but it goes through all, all the iconic parts of downtown Singapore, if you like, including a nearly 100-year-old bridge across the Singapore River called... Um, the Anderson Bridge um, goes down around Marina Bay, um, across from which they're building a casino, and it even goes under a grandstand, um, and then past the Singapore Flyer, which is Singapore's version of the, the London Eye, the big Ferris wheel. Or should that be Singapore's version of that thing out in Docklands, well, which is, is a giant that Ferris is quite wheel? Quite amazing. You have the hugest, uh, you have the hugest um, uh, Ferris wheel sitting there. Mm. For what? Uh, for what? Yeah, and I what mean, it, it's bigger than most of the building. Yeah, we'll cop the view though. It's a, it's a London Eye type thing with a pod in it. Then you'll go around it when it's eventually finished. But where have they put it? You know, you'll get a lovely view of the oh, the docks. Do you think the Maribyrnong River? A bit of a stitch up by some the of freeway. the freeway developers. Well, I, d I don't understand it. I'm here to be proved wrong. Maybe when it's up and running. But anyway, we do digress. But there we go. <laughs> no, but I, you know. 
Singapore Grand Prix, I think, as the first Formula One night race, is going to be a very exciting event, a very exciting spectacle. Uh, and I, I'm just looking forward to it, really am. Well, I'm, I must admit, I wish I was carrying your bags. But, uh, you know... You'll, Come along. You, you'll have... Well, I mean... Lots, like of spe- it, lots of airfares on sale, mate. You could get up there for under a grand. I, I think you probably could, but it's not about getting there. It's about where you put your head down. Ah, uh, yeah. But you do need to smile nicely, and then you stand a chance. Yeah. Actually, accommodation up there, if you uh, were staying in one of the big hotels, is extortionate. You know, 500 bucks a night plus because there's actually a levy on all the hotels in the area to help <laughs> to help pay for the Grand Prix. So um, people who are going up to visit and are just staying in hotels um, in the city are paying through the nose. But um, I guess some of them might have a view. Luckily, I've got a relative, a journo, um, who works in Singapore, so I get to stay for Nick's. Lucky me. Absolutely lucky you. I hope you'll be able to catch up with uh, my good friend uh, Bryce Washington who I had lunch with yesterday, who's taking his new bride, new bride, but sounds like it, the way it's going, who uh, works for Peter Alexander, mm-hmm. a clothing company, mm-hmm. and loves sausage dogs as well. At this point, we must say that the poor little sausage dog has gone to hospital today with a, uh, a slip disc and a urinary tract infection. I know we were eating and you didn't really want me to bring that up. But uh, thanks. I'm, 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 quite, I'm quite worried about how much it's going to cost me. Yeah, I was going to say, so worried you're over here in Melbourne, but the bed will sting you. It's going to be expensive. A slip disc. A slip disc, a bit, of, yeah. a bit like Grant Denyer. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't think it's quite as bad as Grant. Ah. But we'll get on to Grant. Well, the sausage dog is about as tall as Grant, isn't he? Who's now a centimetre shorter, apparently. That's his yeah, big concern. In, in, they're in different axes. Are they? Yes, well, one is, one is, one is horizontal, one is <laughs> vertical. <laughs> X and Y datums, who knew? <laughs> Let's not go into the, the, the Okay, Z, well, Z hello to Sausage Dog, and get well soon. Um, there was a bit of a kerfuffle there, uh, which you're probably aware of, that uh, um, Lewis Hamilton sort of spat the dummy a bit in uh, in Paris and said, look, I hope you guys can get all your shit together and, and realise the error of your ways to the FIA before he uh, set sail on his um, uh, uh, personal A380 to London, uh, to, to, to Singapore, rather. How dare they even presume to France. know what they were doing. However, I have to say, I think, really, he was very stiff. I mean, Raikkonen was pushing him way wide and it was either collision or Hamilton cut the corner go off onto the hard standing as it were we don't have gravel cuts anymore more and more tracks have you know hard runoff areas and um, he scrambled through the corner came back tucked him behind Raikkonen um, and then passed him to the next corner well I'm sorry but I reckon any advantage he may have gained from cutting the corner was completely lost by just all the fiddling and faffing around to get behind and even if he didn't it's clearly he was avoiding rather than taking advantage and he was going to get him you know on the next corner or something so they've made an absolute mountain out of a molehill on this one but but the press like to do this well it's not the media who i mean you know it's a it's a genuine controversy i mean the guy's getting caned for something very minor and he lost a great victory. You know, I mean, that end of that Spa Grand Prix was 
it's what you live for if you're a Formula One fan. You know, that's why you stay up late at night and fall asleep and wake up when the podium celebration on and don't know how it happened because the racing usually is so stultifying. But this was riveting. I actually, for the first time in memory, stayed up and watched <laughs> that whole race. The fact, of course, that it's on a re at a reasonable hour on 10HD does help starting at 9, 50, 10 o'clock, you know, rather than after 11 after or in the early hours. After you the preamble. Yes, yes. Well, no, you need that because you have the the incisive analysis of Cameron McConville, the well-known <laughs> we Formula One that. race driver. We have been through this before. You, you've um, dissected his... Um, oh, I've, ass I've assassinated his, his character. Catalonia uh, ability, I think. Yes. Lovely bloke. Pretty handy V8 driver. Shouldn't be telling us about Formula One. Doesn't know any more than we do. I can read the internet as well. Who should we have as a Formula One? Apart from me. Uh, yeah, apart from you. Of but course. Uh, who? Nice and, and Alan Jones. <laughs> but he would get away from the bar. <laughs> yes. Anyway, moving along from that. <laughs> um, oh, don't you want to get sued either? <laughs> no, no. That, that but, wasn't the point I was making. No. Well, I don't, to be honest, I don't really think they need people in the studio in Australia talking about something that we can all see on the screen. Having Peter Windsor sending in his reports and his and comments. He's on the post. Yes, he's there. He knows what's going on. He's a good old hand. That's great. But having even Rusty, who's a thorough professional and is a good anchor, and someone else just sitting there chattering about what you've already seen and what you know and any information, to be brutally honest, any information they're picking up, they're just dragging off the computers that they've got in front of them. So, you know, for the sake of having two talking heads there, I, you know, I just don't understand it. They should just leave the commentary and they, they, they cut in and out of the commentary um, in the most annoying fashion, you know. Well, now take you back to blah, blah, blah. And you come in mid-sentence. Well, sorry, but ITV signal when their ad breaks are. And they have ad breaks, because like 10, they have ad breaks. So I wouldn't have thought it was on, beyond the wit of man to actually cut in and out of James Allen and Martin Brundle's commentary, you know, without picking it up in between mid-sentence. And particularly Brundle. You know, Brundle says a lot of sense. He knows what's going on. James Allen, eh, you know... Actually, you, you must have seen, you know, uh, sniffpetrol.com, brilliant website. And they've had a campaign going for a long time against James Allen. Should we say what it's called? It's called Stop the Cock. They even had T-shirts printed. Anyway, the cock's going to stop at the end of this year because next year BBC is taking over re resuming coverage of Formula One racing in the UK. And I don't think there's anyone anyone at all who thinks that James Allen will be the lead commentator. Martin Brundle will shift back to the BBC. And I, I don't, you know, that sounds very hard, and James is a pretty good commentator. But, you know, I've always said, you didn't want to be the guy who followed Murray Walker. You want to be the guy who followed the guy who followed Murray Walker, because you're on a hiding to nothing. And James Allen is a very proficient commentator but also very bland and you know and sometimes he, he annoys people by saying you know well what they 
people at home think are dumb things, but you know, in another world, he'd probably be accepted quite well, but he's never been accepted as the successor to Murray Walker, and who could be? Who could be the successor to Murray Walker? Looking down the track, folks, how would you see uh, media and, and, and delivery of, especially of emotional content, um, or, or with, with motorsport, delivered outside of television, free-to-air TV? Certainly, you know, people can YouTube stuff, that's, that's legacy material. Um, I, I really don't know, to be honest, mate. You know, the whole new media thing is just exploding, and you have access to information and to um, all sorts of broadcasts by very different and unconventional means and if I were 20 or 30 years younger I'd probably make a lot more sense of it because I would just, it, you know, it's like when I was a kid you just grew up with whatever was new and you adapted to it um, so there are going to be so many more avenues to get your information that the traditional means of covering sport or getting it or any sort of information are going to be under siege and their audiences I guess inevitably are going to drop however just having said all that you know still the biggest audiences that will watch Formula One races or any big sporting event or any television event are still on particularly in Australia are still on you know the free-to-air networks aren't they you know your mainstream nine seven ten and then two for all the Foxtel and for all the other media, the big numbers are still there. So it's obviously an evolving process. But is it really going to change at the end of, end of the day? You know, if, if, if the big networks are still there and they're still free, why wouldn't you? But I, you know, I also understand that, you know, the different generation to me, you know, they have different attention spans, you know, in my mind, attention spans of a gnat. But, you know, they... they surf around and shift and get their information from all sorts of strange areas that you know getting you know watching things on your phone just doesn't make sense to me the irony of it to me is that whilst the content now will be available to, to people on on smart mobile phones and, and portable devices they're going that's all cool because i want it then and there but i still want the rich experience of watching it in the lounge room so they will then have to pay for the cost of set-top boxes or storage devices where the HD version comes down and is, is, is there and then is played back later and they're actually going to be paying for it. So um, content which was previously free, you're suddenly a, a business model has turned up to make people pay for that content and also the devices. Uh, around it, and when, when we go back, we go. We were quite happy with our freedom, freedom of our TV. Well, isn't it? That's the key to digital media that needs to be unlocked, so that it's big a, companies can make money out of it, like the internet. Business, you know, right. nobody's yet really, in publishing terms, I guess. You know, nobody's really making big money or killing out of the internet, are they? There's lots of stuff up there, but. There are very few models on the house. There are, to there are very few models. Money. It's very early days. Mm. Last week there was, um, oh, and we're not saying we're going into the financial uh, analysis, uh, market analysis, but uh, um, there was a few blow-ups. Um, I can. Uh, Do you think? You, I can tell <laughs> you that there, my phone. It was a bit of a ripple, wasn't my it? My phone hasn't rung for a week. <laughs> uh, most projects got cancelled. And I've, I've got the smallest amount of mail and spam 
I have in a week. Do you think there's any flow on? I mean, I suppose there is, or is it just market jitters, you know, in all sports? I mean, you had the Bronlow medals here last night. The Brownlow, Brownlow. even Brownlow. even the Brownlow as well. Oh, see. We had that as well. See, well, see, I don't know about this AFL stuff, but it's, basic, it's basically a, uh, it's a it's a bit of a catwalk show, isn't it? With it's a, few a catwalk footy. for the women. Well, like. oh, it has become a, a fashion show, and and the girlfriends, the wags as they call them, yeah, wives Rebecca, and girlfriends, Rebecca, Rebecca, turning up. Twiggly, 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 yeah. Twiggly Chris Judd's girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah, um, yeah. And the, uh, the big news from the catwalk at the Brownlows was the explosion of colour in outfits, not just black. This um, mirror, mirroring also a similar fashion phenomenon, I understand, at the Emmys. Colour. My God, did, did, did these people who write this stuff, did they travel around the world to research these few words? I don't know, stuck in my head somehow, didn't it? I've absorbed it. Not so much body shine. No. No, that's right. But it, yeah, a big event. You you would hope, you would hope that one day the V8 Supercars Gala Awards, which Galar. follow the Galar Awards, which follow the last round, the grand finale every year, will become a similar event. I would just say that at the moment it has a long way to go. Good old sex scandal and some drugs. In any particular order? We touched on that slightly offline at the previous uh, meeting, but uh, but it, it in, in the weirdest, weirdest way, it sort of does, doesn't it? Because, you know, it's like newspapers, they, they like to put, they don't like to put uh, anything positive on the front of a newspaper, they want to go the, give you the head on crash. Well, V8 supercars would certainly suddenly realise that it was mainstream if we were waking up one morning and reading about and seeing on TV and hearing on the radio about some sort of scandal of any kind about any of the leading drivers uh, but that's a du- that's a double-edged sword isn't there it? There is a great opportunity uh, uh, and I'm not here to do character assassination because he's on my Facebook friend list and I don't want to upset him but I, I drove as I came into town tonight there is a very large billboard of Garth Tander. Now, now should on the coming over one of the bridges there from the airport now, now should someone decide to go and assassinate his character draw a line of coke under his nose well, he'd probably get a lot of attention they'd probably sell a lot more HSVs Leanne wouldn't probably be very happy about it would she? well not Sherry Leanne Tander well, well look it's, it's quite a high billboard oh I thought you were talking about him having a scandal <laughs> not, not the billboard <laughs> no but it, it's it's a funny thing that you know you, <laughs> it is you, funny you, you but it's of, not it's a, and a caricature and, and certainly not not, not, not trying to hurt the, uh, the individuals, but it's, it, it's, it's a weird thing that it's almost like public's exception of the sport is tied to odd behaviour. Hmm. Well, it's increased media scrutiny and rugby league is, just, is, being, is being absolutely crippled by it because every time you look up, there's some new scandal involving someone in rugby league, either teams or individual players. Um, And there is the theory that any publicity is good publicity, but I think even that has a limit. And rugby league particularly, its image has taken a big hit. AFL has had an image problem. We've had some incidents in recent years and just recently Ben Cousins uh, is still gorgeous. <laughs> ben Cousins. He still got on gorgeous. the front page of the Australian. 
Yeah. I mean, like, you see, and that just shows you that you can put... <laughs> yeah, whatever. Well, he used to be the best player in, until he fell into his deep pit, but from he, which but he's he, now trying to climb out. Well, I mean, like, I, I think everybody wants to be in a deep pit if they can get on the front of the Australian. The Australian? Well, it was the front page well, of the nobody, Australian today. Well, nobody would see it. Do you know how many copies the Australian sells nationally every day? I read it. Yeah. Well, you'd almost be lonely, mate. Well, it was IT Tuesday. It was IT Tuesday, Ah. Yeah, like Media media Wednesday, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a very worthy publication. I started my career on the Australian. Worthy. But in uh, sheer numbers, it doesn't. Salmon lumps, perhaps. Have a salmon lump. Salmon. Oh, very nice. There's a large... Uh, uh, Donna, how's your salmon lump? It's beautiful, thank you, John. <laughs> it is nice, isn't it? It's good. Nearly as good as Ben Cousin. Yes. He's being fated by other AFL clubs. Could you imagine it? You know, given the scandal that surrounded him and the absolute furor that surrounded the whole deal and people chasing him over to the United States to catch up with him when he was in rehab in California. And yet, and, and you know, as a footballer, he was basically completely disgraced, not to mention a human being. Um, and he's not alone, Wayne he's Carey. Only, he's only but human. He's now, well, the, oh. Yes, but when you're a sports star, unfortunately, you're held to a higher standard. You're paid to be held to a higher standard. Those blokes earn at least, at least, half a million dollars a year, if not more. Oddly, <laughs> the top AFL players, with a very, with a few exceptions, very few actually don't earn as much as the top ten or so V8 supercar drivers. And in fact, you know, the top-earning V8 supercar drivers, led by Craig Lowndes, earn way more way more than the top AFL players than the top cricketers just a little quirky piece of trivia I thought I'd, I'd throw in there but because I earn so much money they're held to a higher standard and they are role models and they're judged very harshly and in a very 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 competitive media environment the media sharks are out to get personalities and celebrities but but the AFL footballers are well I condemned more by the media than I would say the V8 supercar drivers mm, my point because AFL matters in the big scheme of things V8 supercars doesn't and yeah that's hard for me to say you know motorsport is my passion it's my life it's my job V8 supercars is the biggest motorsport in Australia by far it should be up there, at least snapping at the heels of football and cricket. Snapping at the heels, it's a but, good vision, but isn't it? It's not but as it's not as exciting to watch anymore. It's well, she's got good watch. heels on tonight. Yeah. And she needs a bit of snapping. No. Well, it's what? not as exciting to watch anymore. I don't watch V8 supercars no, anymore. I used to be a great watcher. It is boring to watch now. Ford Holden, whoopie doo, the cars look the same. Quite harsh. Yeah, who? I mean, who? And suddenly lowering the cone of silence. <laughs> Max, that never works. Bring back the 70s V8 supercar. 
Well, I did read that once upon a time in the early days of this pub, the Royston, excuse me, speaking with my mouth semi-full, um, so it's not semi-full, it's massively full, mm. viewers. Let me tell you, there is a large green olive, a piece of chorizo, and a bit of salmon hanging out the left-hand side of his Singapore-bound That's not smiler. True. But anyway, in the old days, when Richmond was a working-class suburb, this was a working-class pub, and way, way back, they didn't serve women here course being a public bar don't you just wish sometimes you could turn back the clock oh you would so hate that you think it's anyway. a very very um uh unsuitable okay. now i am doing the salmon there's a very unsuitable comment have, have a little bit of triangular um stuff i should do yes was i politically incorrect well, well i didn't say it viewers well, and i just like to, to perv on Evening would be probably sensationally boring. Anyway, uh, you, you can have your own say. Uh, if you don't feel that uh, folks has been fair to you, women, listening, the thousands that are there, but, uh, you, you know, you'll, you'll find his email address there in um, Auto Action each week, which was no longer to be called Auto Fiction. Available in Wednesdays in every part of the world except Adelaide. <laughs> and Perth. But, 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 but not just that, like and, Perth. And, and what's worse than that, I went Crescent after I saw you last to Crescent Head, and it was available in Crescent Head on the Wednesday. And it, like, go figure. I did find out why this happened. There's been a change, and unhappy people. And, and I. Well, it's because it's now the magazine is shipped out by road because of the cost of air transport, rising fuel costs, and nah, 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 nah. It is now shipped out from Sydney on Tuesdays by road by the distributors and that's that doesn't when excuse does the, get it? What about they, they get it Friday but they've always got it Friday so the people in Perth don't know no different but it doesn't excuse it but it, because it's now sent by road transport rather than um, air transport to each of the major capitals um, that's why Adelaide doesn't get it until Thursday at the earliest, if you're lucky, and normally Friday. I would suggest, uh, folks, uh, we increase the price of the magazine to cover that because I, and I think many other people, would value having it in a timely fashion. And uh, we have to move with the times, and so be it. So uh, that's an interesting. Put it forward because view, I, I, uh, I think that. Um, but the market is very price sensitive. It, it is quite amazing. You don't have a competitor. That. People are very sensitive to even 10, 20 cent increase in, in the price of the magazine, which is under $6 and, and well under $6. But, you know, if it went to $6, for example, which you'd say is still, you know, what, six bucks? How much is Penthouse? But I really don't know. Or I'm not admitting anyway. I <laughs> know, um, oh no, but glossy magazines are like nine bucks but auto action no it's it's it's, it's soft it's it's, it's, it's diffused but it, the market's very price sensitive and while it sounds sensible that yeah let's just whack it up to six bucks nice round figure where are we at now 560 yes 590 air freighted over everyone's happy um unfortunately the number crunchers say no it doesn't work and it, it doesn't so until some other better system is found, 
Um, sorry, Adelaide, that's your lot. <laughs> Look, I don't think you've got a competitor. It's a bit of a laugh, the magazine. What do you think that's about... That's not for me to say, uh, what, is it? What do you think about other magazines? What, what do you think about other motoring magazines? And here we are, like, you know, uh, late September. And they go... I go to the, uh, the news agent. There's the November edition. Are they as bad as David Jones showing Christmas icons or possibly even Easter 09 this early in the year? Now, I haven't seen the Easter eggs yet. No, but you have seen Christmas stuff. It's, yeah. it's not right. And what's the story with this November bloody thing in September? Uh, well, I haven't seen a magazine on the stands that's got November on it yet, but it's very routine has been for many years in the publishing industry to um, predate predate the magazine so that the September issue actually comes out in August etc 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 and that's certainly the case in the United States any magazine you pick up there um, any monthly magazine is always the next month when you bought it and I guess that's an historical thing that just goes back to when distribution was very slow and to the far-flung parts of the United States or, or Australia, it used to be the same, that, you know, sometimes it would be a couple of weeks before the magazine actually gets out there, so they thought, oh, well, to give it more shelf life and a better chance to sell, we'll bring the date forward so that it still looks like it's up to date even when it's old-fashioned, and, and that tradition has persisted, as I say, particularly in the United States. Um, less so in the United Kingdom, I know, and there's a there's a, a bit of hangover here in in Australia in that um, it's usually not quite so brazen. But the September issue of Wheels say will come out at the end of August. You're it's a, a bit of sneaky. You're a little bit tardy getting here tonight, folks, because you had a bit of a battery fuck up. That's calling it Steve, what it is, isn't it? Steve, Steve, I know you. I know you've got pancreatic well, cancer. That, that's not but, but, uh, quite the reason why I wasn't here as early as you were. Although you were unfeasibly un- early. Unluckily, unluckily. There's no way if we had relied on you getting across from Adelaide and arriving on time and I getting here. Believe it. I got a cab driver that knew where he's going and a flight on time. I mean, who would have thought Amazing. that? You could do business in this town. You could. But early in the day, yes, I did have a bit of a furphy, uh, a hiccup in that I went downstairs to head off for an appointment and uh, my car was dead as, not one skerrick of electrical power. Reasons for which I have no idea because I drove it down to the morning to Peninsula and back on Sunday and it was fine, just locked it up, walked upstairs, it was locked busy it up, yesterday. Did you? Like, you locked it up. I did lock like, it up. Did yeah. You? Well, it locks itself. It locks itself. <laughs> <laughs> I it's, didn't take it for one of those kind of guys. system shuts itself down, even if I didn't physically lock it, and uh, had no power, so had to call up the RACV and get the man to come in and jumpstart it, and he gave me all sorts of dire warnings as to why if I didn't immediately go to the Holden dealer to get a new battery or get it charged, it would never start again. I didn't believe that, and I just took it for a semi-long drive and it seems to be fine now but that did set me back a little bit for the day and I was a bit surprised and it's still a bit of a mystery as to why a vehicle of its calibre should just completely shut down um, RACV I haven't mentioned you what vehicle what it is you know what that stands really awful car victim 
And that's you. Well, you say that, but the RACV is part of Holden Assist. Well, that you know, they're the service provider. <laughs> Press the button. And um, I rang up, and they said, "Oh yes, and um, our guy will be there in uh, oh, you know, 30 to 50 minutes." So I figured, yeah, right. I'll be sitting here a long time. Well, I got to tell you, they were long in. Must have been 20 minutes. So you can be surprised. But it wasn't raining. Because when it rains, of course, the auto clubs just go completely, un- you know, they're, they're snowed under. Um, because for some reason, when it rains, all cars break down. I don't know why, but um, I was very impressed. So the day was saved. We moved on, and here we are. Thirty-seven minutes into the show at the Royston Hotel, RoystonHotel.com.au, a great place that is not giving us a free meal. But mind you, we've we got a bit of pay for it. And uh, should you want to know more about this uh, sort of stuff, uh, and all the little points that we've talked about, v8central.com forward slash radio hot lap. Uh, the great guys there. Uh, Chris is looking after all the show notes very, uh, very nicely. And because we always say it at the end, thank you very much, Chris. Now, as we move forward onto some new topics, now are we a- having an intermission, by the way? Would you like one? I think we should. I like the old-fashioned idea of intermission. We'll have an intermission. And did the after. viewers like it when we did it in South Melbourne? Did they like the intermissions? Well, they did. But you were not the only person who said it was a long show. It was. It was a, long a double, show. double intermission. JP liked it though, apparently. He loved it, including the intermissions. They were the best bits. In fact, he said today, I rang him and said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going over a show. Basically, cut my grass again. He actually, he, he, he had, I could hear the hair on the back of his neck standing up as I was on the phone. So he's calling me Victor now, is he? <laughs> grass cutter. Yeah, that's right. That's what you know with the 24-hour lawnmower race. Uh, the Victor's always a Victor. Well, I think we should have an intermission. But just before we do, we have to touch on someone who's been racing in Australia and racing overseas with and came from England, obviously got some money, and we're talking about Adam Sharp. He's been doing a bit of supercar racing. Well, he raced the Brick Car 24 Hour on the weekend at Silverstone with Alan Simonson, not in the same car, Alan Simonson was in the Stracker Racing BMW M3 E46 GTR slash X4. And um, after Alan got in the car five minutes in the gearbox, right? I'm not saying that Alan's got bad energy and he's broken the gearbox, but they finished 13th, but that might tell you something. But Adam Sharp was involved in the most massive crash on the first corner. Um, and uh, whilst he did it all on his own, like basically he said lifted off, had a, another grab at the throttle to, to settle the car, and then everything happened behind him the stewards excluded him from the meeting, saying whilst he didn't touch any of the other cars, created the accident. I think that's a bit harsh. Do you? Well, it's a disappointing start to a 24-hour race. But it is. It does go back to say... But he did apparently create... Mayhem. A bit of mayhem, yes. Now, you know a bit about this. You've done some research. You're looking at me a, like... A little you. bit. Come on, what do you know? I mean, look, he's not from around here. He's coming over here with funny money. What's going on? Do we like him? Um, do we know anything about I him? I think you're on your own on this one. <laughs> I really do. He's, I think he's okay. Yeah. 
but uh, I, I just think like that, you know, that that was just that's just a racing situation. And um, well, nobody ever said the judiciary in motorsport was consistent, and that's no. just in one country. So if you try and apply different standards to the same incident in other countries all around the place, you're going to come up with many varied answers so he may have got the harsh end of the stick on that one I, I think that that's a that's a very tough call to have someone have them exclude from the meeting for an incident certainly they be, would be in Australia you wouldn't get exclusion you would be brought up and you would be uh, there'd be a tribunal and you'd be fine for having his own accident very un, unlikely to be excluded have you heard of a situation like that well not in Australia, we have this. Not like that, but, you know, there are so many different interpretations of the rules, and I've seen so many, uh, many interpretations of the rules over the years that nothing really surprises me. I mean, that that is a whole other Pandora's box to open, is the inconsistency of the judiciary in motorsport. And that's just in Australia, not... I'm not even looking at it worldwide because the judiciary in Formula One is different from the judiciary in the BTCC and how the rules are applied and the penalties applied and it's all different from V8 supercars and cams. So while on paper lots of the rules are the same or similar, how they're applied and the penalties that apply to them vary wildly. So it really is a big issue to get into and uh, pretty heavy work really to be honest I think we should have that intermission now folks it's had a little rest the crowd's rolling in in fact it's, it's, it's a bit of an action Jackson sort of spot it does get livelier as the night goes on um, although particularly early in the evening what I found with this place the Royston here in Richmond is that it's a place that people come and meet before they go somewhere else. Um, so there's a lull when they first open, then it builds up, as you see now, since we've been here, it's become, well, it's not crowded, no way you'd ever say it's crowded, but it's busy and lively. And then probably, what time is it now? But, you know, in about another hour from now, it'll empty out, it'll be very quiet, and then there'll be a, a late spurt before they close at 11, which is <laughs> 11 o'clock, hey? That's a very traditional closing time, isn't it? We've got to keep uh, keep the show rolling because we've been had some complaints that it was a little bit long. It's um, not pub, pub hot lap, is it? No, it's... pub hot lap. But, but, but there, I will tell you that there is a new... Uh, we've already got the new name of the um, podcast starting after episode 100, and we'll tell you that at the end of the show... Um, last week we mentioned that there were some large and empty grandstands at uh, the uh, Phillip Island Endurance. Uh, folks, you've got some reasons to tell us why that occurred. It was a bad look. I'm surprised that the Seven Network, or V8 Supercars Television actually, didn't avoid these shots of empty stands, particularly on the back of the circuit, but the reality is that those stands are set up for the Australian Motor GP, which is coming up um, weekend after this, and uh, the simple explanation is that they hadn't been um, approved to be used by spectators, you know, at this meeting. Um, so the V8 supercar people probably would have allowed people to go up there and just, you know, fill it up 
probably would have let them do it for free, but um, in very simple terms, they weren't allowed to. So that was a bit unfortunate, but maybe that's something they've now experienced and will foresee for next year and will open up those grandstands. And the reason those grandstands are there is quite simply because with the MotoGP following just a couple of weeks after the Phillip Island 500, the infrastructure needs to go in. So actually, as time goes on and hopefully the Phillip Island's popularity builds, um, the infrastructure can be shared and those grandstands, you know, will actually become useful for the V8 patrons. But it's going to be a, a long, slow road to popularity for the Phillip Island 500 for any number of reasons, you know, just staying with the fact it's new and different. You know, people don't actually know it's there. It's not in the mindset. It's in the midst of footy finals in Melbourne. You know, the weather at that time of year at Phillip Island, please, you know, that's whole big issue and argument altogether why they would schedule a race down there in the middle of September. Now as it turned out the weather wasn't too bad, it was windy, windy, windy and on race day the rain actually spiced up the race, thanks heavens, thank heavens for that rain we had near the end of the race, otherwise it would have been a snooze fest. Sorry, what was that Donna? I said it probably would have been boring. It it would have been, yeah. It was a bit of a snooze fest. But if you're in Melbourne... You know, there's no incentive to really, unless you're a hardcore fan, you know, to troll two hours down, well, it's not even a freeway or a highway, you know, down down the highway there to go to the race when you don't know what the weather's going to be like. You know, sometimes even the penguins, you know, are rugging up because it's so cold down there. So, but, you know, I think we're stuck with that timing, unfortunately. They've got to do something with it. Um, but maybe time will mean that people get used to the idea and it sort of takes on its own sort of iconic status. You're, uh, he's talking about uh, an area which is quite close to your heart, the Mornington Peninsula. Yes, I reside down at the Mornington Peninsula. Well, it's not her fault anyway. She had a chance to talk about that. Um, look, uh, MotoGP's coming. Well, she's on the opposite bit... side of Western yeah, Port well, anyway. Well, so... right. But she's a girl. I thought we agreed not to go there again. I'm already in disgrace. Aren't I already in the sin bin because of that? The weekend after this, uh, after you get back from your luxurious uh, moment in uh, Singapore, no doubt you'll be going to Divesville, uh, where they, you can't get a drink, but there is a, always a great race going on. Bathurst. Yes. What's going on with the public and not being able to take a carton? we got to have a carton. We do live in the greatest nanny state in the world don't we so the authorities are imposing more and more limits and I think as much as the authorities the organisers at Bathurst are just paranoid about the bad the wrong image going out and because the Bathurst 1000 part of its image and allure is built on the ferals who live up on the top of the mountain now I'm saying ferals tongue in cheek because the people up there in my experience in the past, are actually pretty decent folk. Okay, they can light it up, literally and metaphorically. And, and no couch technology. <laughs> well, they know how to they know how to burn them, but they keep to them. Oh. In my in my experience, which is yeah, it's not extensive. It's not like I live I've lived up there or anything. But when I've been up there, you know, the Great Coat Army and all that, they're really nice people, and they appreciate drivers going up there and they welcome them, and. In the main, the behaviour, it's a bit outrageous, but it's contained. And, you know, that's always been life on the top of the mountain during the Bathurst 1000 or before at the Bathurst 500. 
it's not really where you take families. And that's been well known. But it's a place where people can have a bit of unrestrained fun without going completely over the top. And part of that, you know, it's always been alcohol. And, you know, the, the campsites up there, the, the temporary structures that they used to build, which, of course, now occupation health and safety rules means you can't do, a lot of the character is missing. And I used to love the ingenuity, the great Aussie ingenuity of when, years ago, when they first started introducing various forms of bans on taking alcohol into Mount Panorama, the really resourceful guys, and gals probably, would go up like a month or weeks before, dig a big pit, unload slab after slab into that pit, cover it up, come back for the race, they'd be asked, do you have any alcohol in the cup? No, no, no alcohol, oh, very good, off you go because they scoot up the mountain, dig up the booze, and they all be, you know, they'd be cut for the weekend. But the, it's kind of it's kind of part of the character of the Bathurst 1000 that you have this slightly unruly lifestyle going up at the top of the mountain. And I really think it would be a shame if we lost that. You know, it, it, it can't be violent. It can't be like the Easter motorcycle races used to be, you know, where there were just riots breaking out and people, you know, the spectators the bikers up there throwing Molotov cocktails at the police compound up the top. It can't get to that extent. Well, not anymore because they want to drink the alcohol rather than throw it. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, for what it is up there, I think they should encourage that sort of lifestyle because they basically police themselves and it's never been a real issue. But we're in a nanny state, the authorities and the organisers are just paranoid about bad publicity getting out out about just alcohol fueled you know, yobs getting up there and creating havoc. Um, I just think there's a middle line somewhere and banning booze en masse is not the way to get there because, again, the ingenious and the resourceful ones will sneak it in anyway. Anyway, if you want to find out about everything coming up uh, associated with the Singapore Grand Prix and Bathurst, make sure you pick up this week's and definitely next week's copy of Auto Action at your um, your local uh, hardware store or newsagent. All good uh, unless book, you're in another all good bookstores, the as they say, and even bad ones as well. <laughs> and, and it'll be good. Now we're running out of time because they're about to uh, to, to close the salubrious part, turning it in to a restaurant. We're not going for the three-hour show. We're not, and due to previous uh, complaints, a couple of things we've been to talk about. One is tech, is that uh, Seinfeld was was hired for $10 million to do some ads with uh, Bill Gates to promote the the supposedly coolness of uh, Microsoft products after uh, two episodes, which they now say was always planned, one about shoes and one about family life, has been axed and is moving on to more um, uh, interesting characters, I suppose, uh, like some of the ladies from uh, Desperate Housewives. I didn't see the ads. I read about this whole thing, and apparently the ads with Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld and Bill Gates were a bit obscure. Fully Would you obscure. agree with that? Yeah, obscure is a good word. So they really didn't have a reason to live then, did they? Look, they had to start somewhere. I mean, like, and honestly, if that's Bill acting, it's hard work. I mean, I don't think he was acting. I just think he was Bill. Why does the world's uh, richest, richest man Bill. have to bother anyway? I mean, I don't know. You, you're in, into the tech world. I mean, is Bill Gates, you know, is I he a cult he hero? identity. Is he a cult hero? <laughs> Not to me. 
so it just seems very unusual and I, I don't know why do Microsoft need to set himself up I mean th- they've got the market captured are they losing the VA Central uh, guys will be able to find you the links to the Seinfeld ads um, and uh, you'll be able to have a look at those for yourself now uh, this morning well our time uh, Adobe took the, uh, the ropes off the creative suite 4 uh, which is pretty much everything Photoshop, Illustrator, Dreamweaver Acrobat, 10 all sorts of tools which and there's a huge uh, focus on mobile device deployment in fact um, it's quite clever what they've done is been able to create some tools that uh, allow you to emulate on screen the uh... <laughs> stop it I'm so excited please go on allow you to emulate the interesting products you have in your hand like your iPhone and when you make a change to it folks you'll be surprised that it will then show up in the, at the client level so um, look you know, it's just we're just breaking news. Have you got no sexy tech? Give me sexy tech. Sexy. I want te- sexy tech. Come on. Tomorrow. Android. Uh, tomorrow. What yes. about Android? Yes. Got to be got a name. The, op- the, op- the open source operating system developed by the Google twins will be released, available to the public, and deployed through the first publicly available unit. A Taiwanese manufacturer called ATC mm. is uh, providing the Dream Phone. Um, everyone said, "Look, don't expect it to be your iPhone-like, but what you can expect is it to be a complete open architecture, much as um, like open source programming mm-hmm. has been." And, and that's why people in Romania and Estonia have come into the world because you see, it was dark and, we and cold. Them. We dark welcome and them. cold most of the time. They worked for nothing. And, and, and we didn't have to tell them where we live, but they did quite good programming. Well, 98. I like the name Android. It, I have visions of the Silver Surfer. Dr. Smith? No, the Silver Surfer. <laughs> yeah. Artificial being. You know more about the Yeah, you know. Uh, I know more than I need to, don't I, really? But no, it, it's good. Hold on to that, because I do have another piece. Hold on to this piece of technology. This is the recording device, because I do have another little bit of interesting tech that's come up and and because you have a uh, you have an iPhone as many other people do a little tool has been uh, available uh, in the last day called airport no air something or other but anyway I'll get to the name of it because it's here in my notes but um, what it allows you to do is mount your iPhone wirelessly to any computer and put data onto it because uh, what Apple did was they disabled the ability to use your phone like they did with, uh, unlike they did with the, the, the iPods mm-hmm. or the Touch, where you could actually put data onto it in what was called disk use. So they've, uh, they've managed to, to disable that, probably so they sell other products. But this little product, which I'm going to come up and tell you for any moment now. Why are you looking for that? Yes. Can I voice a complaint? <laughs> that may only be applicable to my sat-nav in my car, but I suspect is rather more common in that even when you have the uh, the latest software for maps, they still manage, the sat-nav device, still manages to find roads or doesn't find roads that exist. I went down to the Mornington Peninsula on the weekend 
and had the address and I know the street exists and it's not a new street, it's an old street. Well, it didn't exist in the Satnav's memory. Now, what is going on there? Don't you think that a reputable brand of satellite navigation manufacturer could at least get the maps right in a well-populated area? I'm not talking about, you know, new, new roads. So I just thought I'd have that little rant. I'm not happy. No, I, th- I think, now, I and, think and highly viable. I'm, I'm so unhappy, I'm almost tempted to reveal the brand Please. that is the focus of my unhappiness. Please. It's Navman. Oh. And I have other issues with Navman it's as well. Very, it is actually very tardy. It's a, it's a very, it's quite, has quite heavy latency, yeah. I'd say, in its uh, information delivery. Well, I, my mobile phone found it. My iPhone, I just hit Maps, and it immediately said, here I am in that street that didn't exist on my in-car sat-nav system. So, not a suitable um, outcome. I'm not happy, and I'm sure other people are not happy. Anyway, as long as it's just not me. No, it's not just you. Air touch. I don't know. It's an air something. No, it is not just you. You still have the pants. We have issues with the uh, sat-nav as well. Anyway, let's forget the name. What is this brilliant piece? It's, of a, it's a tiny little free utility do. you'll find on um, on uh, uh, the iPhone, um, iTunes, iTunes Music Store, blah blah blah, the App Store, and mm-hmm. uh, simply when you click on it, if I was to get the phone out of my pocket, we could actually find out what it's called. But it does allow, as I said, to mount the device up wirelessly through Wi-Fi mm-hmm. um, onto the desktop, so that you can then. Um, put uh, your, 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 your content. It's called da, 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 air sharing. Air sharing, right. I'm glad we waited for that. Viewers, aren't you glad you waited for that <laughs> See momentous ya. announcement? It is. Have a nice time in Singapore. See you fucking later. <laughs> yeah, thanks to you too. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. Good on you, mate. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for all that. And Donna? Thanks very much for having me on the show. And did you enjoy your uh, wine? I love my wine. <laughs> so we'll say guys. goodbye from the Royston Hotel in Richmond. See you another time. Oh, and we haven't told you about the new show coming up. Stand by, oiledbeefhooks.com.